another edition of the Para Podcast. Um, sorry, we're delayed a week. Um, we're all a bit busy last week, so we decided to push it back. Um, but tonight, I'm burned by, uh, joined by Bertie. Hi, how's it going? And Forty. Evening, fellas. And the Seavers never ends for Ham. He's down at an Eels under 15s trial tonight, so um, we'll get some words off him, or I think I can relay exactly what he wants to say. But <laughs> um, we'll go from there. Um, all right, so we missed out up on the uh, the wrapping up of the round 26 action, um, but quickly quickly we'll just move to that and and very quickly uh, two tries Jared Hayne, Bevan French one f- from two conversions for Mitch Moses, and then of course the Roosters laying on eight tries 44 points to 10, uh, very very disappointing end to the season with those last two games. Uh, the biggest positive to come out of the Roosters game was Blake Ferguson. That's about it. <laughs> And, um, of course, same thing that's happened all season, ill-discipline errors um, and uh, a lack of middle forwards around the ruck area. Uh, they were beating us all over the park, but especially straight through the ruck was, was where it was had. And um, I think we were lucky in that first half that um, we weren't split by Tedesco a couple of more times. Uh, but, of course, your uh, more experienced players or, or players that should be leading the park uh, found themselves with two off in the bin with Mitch Moses going for uh, what's been determined as a, well, it was a push, I think it was, but that's been a, a send-off all year. And then, of course, Jennings, it's just unfathomable how he could actually yeah. Moses, touch him after the tap. Moses, I thought, did the, the bare minimum to get sin-binned because Kiri definitely milked it, but it was absolutely a sin-binnable offence. Um, so fair enough. But the, the Michael Jennings one just blows your mind that in that position he could sit there, step to his right, and then, you know, obstruct the quick tap. I don't I don't know. And I know that footage after the after that sequence showed that he was in tears in the dressing room. I just I don't know what was going through his thought process in that entire sequence of play. That really blew my mind. Well, yeah. I think the answer is not much um, over the course of the season, unfortunately, for Jennings. Like, I understand if you're going to stop a try because um, you're in the game, but come on, it's a... You know, we'll get smacked. Like, there's no point doing that. Like, but if if this season's taught you anything, it's almost worth considering a try, rather than getting sin binned and then getting absolutely hammered in defense. So I'm not sure why players keep, you know, giving away professional fouls that lead to them getting binned and costing their team more across that 10 minute period, rather than just retreating to 10 and you know taking taking a risk on them scoring a try potentially. It shows this season the common theme was stupidity across the squad. You got stupid plays, you know, giving away stupid penalties, sin binnings. Like, it's like everyone lost footy IQ this uh, yeah, in the preseason good previous, way of, you know. Good way of putting it, Bertie, is that the footy IQ on the team dipped dramatically despite fielding a largely similar roster. So, uh, yeah, where, where that disconnect happened is why we're having a, a big overarching review, I suppose. But figuring it out is going to be of the utmost importance to this team. I think that's about all we need to say for the Roosters. They've gone on to win their first round match in the finals um, and probably look likely going close to the to the grand final off the performances that they've put in recently. I think, sorry, just going back on that awful game against the Roosters, the one thing that concerned me the more than perhaps the ill-discipline and, and the bevy of errors that we made in offence is the fact that right from the get-go, from the opening kickoff, our left edge was, you know, two or three men short every time. And... I, you, know, you couldn't explain it away as to why we could not mark up one-to-one. You could understand why there'd be a one-man overlap every now and then when the fullback has to slip back into the custodial position behind the line. But the Roosters always had you know two or three-man overlaps, and we just had no answer. 
So I'm not sure where that breakdown in, in defense happened. Certainly something they'll have to pick up over the off-season. Obviously, the up-and-in defense, or the way that we're playing, is way too short because um, it's not the first time we've been exposed this season on an edge like that. Um, South's games, both of them probably come to mind, even though they strip uh, both sides of the field very well off those um, those sweet plays that they run. But, yeah, you're exactly right, 40. It also shows um, how ruthless the Roosters were. They went there with a game plan, and they just executed it. They didn't let off. They didn't... You know, went easy on us. So that's something the players, if they want to succeed in this league, you have to be ruthless. You know, take your chances and you got to finish them. So, yeah, it's a good learning. That's, good that's why it was so frustrating to you because that was us last year. For the vast majority of the season, we had that, you know, that edge to how we play, that bit of aggression, that bit of ruthlessness, and acting on a game plan efficiently. And then this year, it just went out out the window into the trash heap. And we don't have, we don't, ugh, we got no idea. It just it doesn't make sense how a team can play so efficiently and effectively. And yes, there were other you know, aside from what we've talked about in the podcast and in the um in depth, there have been other factors like rule interpretation changes and, you know, the the fitness issues with the changing of the head trainer and whatnot. But the team just did a complete one eighty. And, you know, we went from being one of the best teams at executing game plans where it'd be kicking to the corner and attacking aggressively in defense and all those other things to a, a team that was so inept that it was actually painful to watch them at times this year. And the reverse of that is when when they did put it together, you could see what the team could mm. be. Um, you, you got know, you got those, those tantalizing Manly glimpses. And, yeah. Manly, the Dragons. And even, and even in this game, you know, the Jared Hayne break and then the French try, um, they weren't easy put-downs or, or, you know, simple players. Um, yeah, just not enough of it. And um, not playing the full 80 or grinding it out or being willing to exactly. grind out those middle yeah. thirds. And that's probably a, a big part of it is not willing to do those tough, the tough parts of the game where, you know, it's not pretty, but it gets you into the contest. And that we, that was something that we definitely went away from this year. I think um, using the term from from the Packers win is uh, not enough dig big, uh, fuck, not <laughs> enough big dick energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely lacking that big dick energy at Parramatta this year. Um, all right, well, let's move on to, um, unfortunately, for the loss for the under-20s against uh, the Bulldogs in the first round of the finals. Uh, I think the Bulldogs are out now um, as well, so that's not great. Um, but four tries apiece, Sapienza, Fanua, Parry, and Sapienza with a second try. Um, Sapienza, though, only one from four conversions. Three of our tries coming in the first half where the, the wind um, was particularly bad. Um, but poor Sapienza probably had his worst game in first grade, even though he scored that two was, tries. That was probably back-to-back bad games from Sapienza after a really good season as well. He unfortunately finished it on the downturn. Uh, we played the Dogs the week before as well, and I don't know if it's just a match-up thing or if it was end-of-season jitters, you know, hitting into sudden death, but he put together back-to-back bad games, which is a real shame because he was low on the depth charts in the halves this year, but he stood up big time to help the Eels get to the postseason. But, you know, unfortunately couldn't get him past the first round. And there you are. The, the Sharks beat the Bulldogs 30-10 to 10 the next weekend. And we absolutely spanked the Sharks yeah, during the regular that's, season. That's 20s football in a nutshell, though, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the silver lining to this is that there's a number of young players that are going to come into the full-time preseason, I dare say. Uh, obviously, Oregon's already there, but you got the likes of Stefano, Toikamanu, um, <clears throat> Ethan Parry, uh, Dylan Brown... And there'll be a couple more guys in there, I dare say, that'll um, get a run of the the um, old boys 
looking to carve out a spot in the roster for 2019. Yeah, I hadn't watched too much 20s this year, but um, being there for that game, um, I especially liked uh, um, our, our middle forwards. You're talking about uh, uh, Stefano Atuikamani, Sean Kepi, I think, who's going off, um, and also Tassapale. They had really good games. Also, uh, well, I, th- I think he got the under-20s player of the season for the Eels, Afualo. Yeah, Tui, um, Tui got the player of the year award. And, of course, Ethan Parry playing in at fullback. Uh, he was giving um, Sapienza a spray all game, he, um, even is asking a, him to get hooked. He's <laughs> a very fiery character. He's one of the, um, uh, how do I phrase it? It's not a joy, but it's always interesting to watch him on the field because he gets really into it and he, he, absolutely, you know, he, he gives a, a lot of shits when it comes to how the team's performing. So it's not uncommon to hear him giving the boys a pretty um, heavy rev up when things um, turn awry. But I think he listed, uh, but, listed a lot of the good players there. It was good to hear Charbel backed up. Um, he he played his first game of the season against the Dogs the week before and um, played very well. Um, he's one of the SG Ball, or he was SG Ball eligible as of this year. So he turned 18. So stepping up a couple of years, like a lot of the guys in that roster actually, um, and seeing him do a good job against a pretty um, aggressive Dogs pack was good to hear. Well, that was the unfortunate thing when we sort of went to our bench in that first 10 or 15 minute period after half time is sort of when it all unraveled and especially their number nine uh, Zach Hetherington he was uh, I don't know if he's any relation, relation to, to the Hetherington from the Panthers is it or I don't know Panthers there's sorry. one at Panthers yeah, yeah I was thinking of the old cannon. Hetherington yeah <laughs> yeah um, but yeah they sort of just ran amuck and especially their number 13 uh, Rodobu he, he was rampant through that middle third of the field um, and and um, there was definitely they bombed a couple of tries the the Bulldogs and Ethan Parry came up with some incredible try savers as well, uh, but just unfortunately they sort of lacked and um, not a criticism against Tapatautai because I know he's about our fourth string hooker for the twenties but certainly lacked um, some passing from 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 the dummy half position uh, balls going up around people's heads or or you know five meters behind the um the halves and having to run back and get it. Um, and, and uh, I think they just lacked having um, Brown there to sort of guide the ship um, when that when they needed it, unfortunately. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah and it, was, it wasn't just Dylan. We've talked about it before with him and myself on the podcast, but uh, Joe Tapari, obviously Reed Money was playing first grade, and then uh, you lost uh, Johnny Fenua at fullback as well. So they were pretty down first-choice spine players. And unfortunately, you know, when you get to the business end of the season, it's your one, six, seven, and nine that win you games as much as any other player on the field. Um, but yeah, again, uh, they've unearthed a couple of players, and they'll um, they'll be back for for next season. And of course, they've got some SG ball players, and that's what we need to see coming through to see the, the mats going onto the ball, going onto twenties, and then hopefully having an Eels reserve grade as opposed to Wentworthville. But we'll touch on that a bit later. Did you have anything else else there, Forty? No, I think that's a, a pretty fair summation of it. So the big, like I said, the silver lining to this is that the boys will turn up to the pre the young boys that is, will turn up to the full-time preseason, hopefully ready to uh, get their names written down uh, for you know outstanding efforts in the preseason. And and sorry, I'll just touch on one other thing. Um, it was great to see the feeling amongst the boys. I think we could probably criticise some of our first-grade players for, for not really putting in, um, but Jesse Cronin was almost in tears um, at the end of the game. Uh, having having the game gone down, so you could definitely see that it meant a lot to some yeah, of those players. Yeah, a lot of those boys really care. So, like you said, good to see. 
Alright, well let's jump into a bit of news, um, which we touched on last time we were recording as the Ken Thornet medals uh, were being an announced. Um, I don't have a list of actually the award winners, I probably should have prepared that. Um, but of course, uh, the Polar Express taking out the Ken Thornet medal, and then of course, uh, Hindy being inducted into the Eels Hall of Fame. So, um, the two big ones uh, that we believe that, was, um, that were going to happen did happen. Did you guys have anything to touch on that? No, I mean, Heine getting inducted to the Hall of Fame was a, a fair comply, wasn't it? It was always going to happen. And was it just a, is there an eligibility criteria as far as years past for the Eels, or is it, I'm not sure, because you'd assume. retire 2013, so five years, I guess. So it would be the, the classic sort of sporting five years, so yeah, because he's absolutely a first ballot guy for the Club Hall of Fame, if not um, further on as when it comes to recognition in the wider NRL. Um, good to see Paul getting uh, his dues for a great year. He um, missed out on a good chunk at the back end of the season with that. Uh, was it a PCL or MCL injury in his knee? I'm not sure if the club actually announced what it was, but he, he did his knee. But he was absolutely... I think it was MCL. Yeah, absolutely deserved recipient. And it was um he was actually shouted out by one of the NRL.com staff. Was it today? Yeah, that's As right. one of the most underrated players in the competition. And, you know, that's once again deserved recognition because he was... Averaging over 100 metres a game and something ridiculous like high 30s or 40 tackles a game. 40, and, 40 plus tackles a game. And like with like single digit missed tackles, I think it might have been across the season. It was ridiculous. He had a really great tackling efficiency this year. So, well, up until his last game in, in first grade this season before the injury, he was accounting for 14% of, of our the, t- total the team total tackles. Yeah. Team so total tackles. Absolute and machine. The Eels had made the second most tackles in the competition after the Tigers. So, and no I think defeat. I think moving forwards, he's going to be the important counterpart to Junior, uh, Junior Paul, obviously not a junior, um, to you know rebuilding this front row and giving the Eels a bit of um, traction in the middle against some of the more uh, fancied packs in the NRL, and he'll um help, you know nicely contrast Junior's more power game and help uh, fill in the cracks in defense and just, you know, sheer work rate. So good good to see him get his juice. What yeah, just like it? you said, you know, it's good to see Heimarsh inducted alongside his mate, uh, Kalis, you know, like in 2014. So it's, um, you know, played the most games for the club. You know, um, is it, it's, you know, it pains to me to say that he's never won a premiership, but like, you know, he, out of all the players, he deserves, a, you know, a premiership for his career at the club and, yeah, just happy he got it. And obviously, if it wasn't probably the first half of the season, I was trying, to, I was struggling to figure out who would get the best player of the year for the club because we had you know poor players across the park. But it's clear standout that Alvaro was the best. You know, he took up took his level to it took his game to another level. You know, averaging more minutes, uh, tackles and runs. So, you know, I'm really happy. You know, he got the award and yeah, just. He deserves it, to be honest. So, yeah, you know, last year was Nathan Brown and clear clear this one this year. Polar, to uh, me, is is the sort of player that if he was in a... I mean, the Eels are a high-profile club in terms of media profile for selling papers and headlines, but we're not a high-profile club when it comes to the representative frontier of the game, which is understandable given our um, you know most recent struggles uh, outside of 2017. But if he was uh, in the, the Brisbane system or the Melbourne system or even the Roosters... He's honestly one of those guys that probably would have been brought up as a fringe origin candidate. He's, you know, just no nonsense. You get your 100 metres and your 30 or 40 tackles a game, and he plays tough. And that's something that this pack really needs to build around is a guy that can play tough. 
And yeah, wasn't so, he? Wasn't he in the Broncos system before he came to us? Yeah, he was in. He's he's an interesting one because uh, Danny's one of the f- um, final fringe candidates for Origin eligibility when they introduced those new rules. He was um yeah. he was in the Broncos system, but is also a New South Wales junior. So he played in the last country city um game for country, and I, I believe he is New South Wales eligible, despite also being Queensland eligible on the due to the transitional uh, grandfather rules, I think. So, yeah, he, he came to us via the, the Broncos in 2014, um, played like, his final year of uh, Holden Cup eligibility for us, and then spent a year and a bit in Wenty. And since then, he's come on in leaps and bounds. And also an Italian international. Yes, and also worth mentioning, he's part of the Azzurri. Well, I'm, I'm not sure if they call themselves the Azzurri in rugby league, but the, the um, Italians. All right, and just running through that award list, so Dan Alvaro taking out the Ken Thornett medal, Jack Gibson for the NRL Coaches Award for a back, was George Jennings, of course, making his debut, but probably petering off towards the back end of yeah, the season. The, the grind of the NRL definitely got to him because he started real strong. He was averaging like 150 metres for the first six or seven weeks. But uh, that's you know you can't underestimate it, can't you? The, the week-to-week grind of the NRL is very real. And then the uh, Jack Gibson NRL Coaches Award for Best Forward going to Penny Terrapo, who who would probably be up in the category near Dan Alvaro as the most improved uh, player this season. Penny, Penny was one of the few bright points this year. He absolutely stepped um, stepped up. Uh, shell, he didn't mean he didn't. He, no NRL player is ever going to be error free, but he def, definitely um, shelled a lot of the loose carries. They still popped up every now and then, like you'd expect from um, a lot of forwards. But he added uh, that really dynamic sort of I don't want to say sideways running but he threatens teams of his ability to get on the outside of those interior defenders because he weaves and they really struggle so that's sort of a running running back sort of yeah isn't it turning the corner play (laughs) and he's obviously deceptively quick because once he turns the corner you know it takes guys of legit speed to to trap him and yeah really really good and he's got a bit of an offload going too so really Um, really good oh sorry I was say really, really good to see him kick on. Um, like Danny, one of the few bright spots. Um, you know, obviously the young guys, Reed and Jamin and mm, Oregon as well. So, yeah, that that's about it for this year as far as the the good times. And Ray Price NRL Community Award going to Cam King, um, Player of the Year going to Dan Alvaro as well. So picking up the double. Then the Flag Coaches Award goes to Sione Fanua, um, who was a bit of a miss to fix it all across the park at points um, this season. Yeah, Johnny. Then, Johnny's pretty um pretty handy player across the entire back line, and I mentioned it before when we were talking about the the flag final. But he was one of those court players that was missing uh, for the last two weeks. I think it was. Uh, I think he hurt himself in the sorry the first uh, round against the Dogs in our round or the first fixture in the last round of the regulation season. Yeah, because he ended up playing seven, I think, in in the, the yeah, final he match. Yeah, played, he played. Um, I think he played at the wing at some time this year. And then uh, most of the time at fullback, and then in the last few weeks he uh, spent time at number seven as well. And then the flag player of the year, as we touched on before, Afualo, who's um, a bit of a striking individual. <laughs> yeah, he's um, definitely got a unique way about him, hasn't he? From from the way he plays to the way he looks, um, almost got that Cal Drogo uh, ponytail going on. But uh, yeah, real real tough player, and he'll be one of those guys that. <clears throat> Uh, has the opportunity I won't say he's you know going to walk in and take a spot but he's got the opportunity to really push himself up the the rankings in the preseason 
Um, you know, the Eels are looking for a bit of quality in the outside backs, and Tui's got a unique value, but he's got to work on some of the um, issues in his game when it comes to consistency and defense, and, you know, probably I'd say fitness if it comes to stepping up to the senior grades. But the, uh, the talent and the temperament when it comes to playing the game are, are right there. Is there a player in NRL in the in the in the in the oh, I can't ever say. Is there a player right now that he reminds uh, of? I I draw comparisons to Solomon Akata maybe. Yeah. If he you know really he's shorter than your typical or prototypical NRL center, but really powerful. You know, really muscular. Bit of dumb, bit of uh, deftness to his um ball skills. You know, almost surprisingly so. But he's a first and foremost a power runner. And you'll watch him, you know, carry three or four defenders um, once he starts um, churning into the line. So he's not your... It's like probably a combination of, of um, him and, and Connie Harrell. Yeah, Har- Harrell's obviously, yeah, I probably should have mentioned Harrell in there too. Very similar to those two. So not your prototypical NRL centre, but a guy that, you know, can give you certainly a unique value when it comes to meterage and uh, red zone production because of the power that he brings to his charges. And then jumping on to the ISP... Uh, Cup Coaches Award, Matt Woods. And then the Bob Riley ISP Cup Player of the Year going to Ray Stone. Um, and then Mick Cronin Club Person of the Year going to Luke Samet. And, of course, Hall of Fame medal to, to Hindy. Um, so that wrapped up the, the uh, year for the awards. Um, what have we got next? Oh, the... Before I forget, the Ron Massey Cup Player of the Season. Oh, here we go, here we go. <laughs> insert, this is where we insert the drum roll um, soundbite. Um, being the one and only Bo Henry. Um, gosh, certainly he couldn't be any worse than, than what we've, we've had playing in the halves this season. Yeah, the, I have no idea what the backstory there was, but like you said, we could have done a lot worse than Bo Henry at the helm in the ISP. Former NYC Player of the Year. Mind That's you, right. 2009 St. George Illawarra Dragons uh, Toyota Cup Player of the Year. And then he went, of course, on to, to the Titans and got a couple of starts and then sort of floated around a bit. Um, but yeah, he, he's found his home in Ron Massey Cup, so yeah, more power to him. And uh, he'll be playing this weekend, um, of course, in the Ron Massey Cup Grand Final Qualifier. Um, grand final, I think, is usually paid early on during the day on the grand final days. I think that's right. He'll be like that um, Winnie player we had last year. Was it Cody Nelson? The guy who played like over 300 games for Winnie. Like, he'll be... No, no, no. Oh, that's was it not him Cody. or was it another one? That's not Cody. Oh, my God. Who is it? He's like a back row. He played... Yeah, uh, he made back, a, back row. He um, was played hooker once for us. Made his debut against the Dragons. No, no. Cody, Cody played hooker for us, but he's not the guy that's played 300 games for Winnie. Oh my What's god! Uh, I should know this. Uh, Stanfield, Mitch Stanfield, is oh, the yeah, yeah. the bloke that's had a, like legendary career for the Wendy Magpies. All right, well, I think that'll about wrap up the news for now, and then just go on quickly to to previews before we go on to our season review. Um, so previews in the Shield. Um, here's easy because both um, of these clubs are our feeder. Um, which is Wenty and Guildford at 11am at Leichhardt on Sunday, um, September 16th. Uh, so if you uh, don't have anything to do Sunday, um, jump out to Leichhardt Oval. Uh, bring your cash with you, though. They've only got one ATM out there, so don't get um, stung. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a nice it's a nice little 
stadium they've got there, even though if it is a bit old and sometimes the uh, uh, latrines can sort of run over um, if they get a bit over full. Um, but is there anybody? I'm just having a look through the through there's the there's some of our fringe um, flag guys in there. I can count about four or five coming through off the top of my head there. Um, they're playing for the Guildford Owls, obviously being the affiliation oh, uh, club. Michael Buckfield, he he played in the yeah. Um, Jaden Jaden Field. Uh, Nathan Massimo might be a relation to one of our uh, district rep players. Um, is Simone Lasalo? Is he? Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a relation to the the famed Taniello Lasalo. Yeah, but who else? There, Mitch Butfield, you touched on Jake Sleeman, Alec Bush was in our system a couple of years ago. James Porter was a current member of the the flag, so they've got a few guys in there. And there's obviously a few callback names, like you said, Eisenhue, Cassiano, and uh, <clears throat> uh, Lasalo. So it'd be interesting to see if there's any relation there. And also, um, Eparama Navale. Navale? Uh, I can't pronounce it. But um, nephew of uh, One Time Eel. Uh, can't remember his name, though. I'll get um, caught out for this later. <laughs> well, there's a Lasalo on both sides. There's a Muli there you in, go, the, family um, feud. in the Wente. Solom- and there's a Solomon Lasalo. <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll just see who comes out on top in that um, Stokes, and then of course the the following match is Wentworthville taking did, on Glebe. Did oh, you sorry. see? The, sorry, have you seen the numbers for Wenty in this game? It's almost NFL. Yeah, yeah, thirty-one. 30, yeah, thirty-one 34, to forty-seven. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> well, that could just be the um, the, the New jerseys South Wales rugby league site. So, yeah, it could be, them, could be yeah. the the site as opposed to actually. Yeah, it looks like they've added a free to all the numbers, maybe. And a four, yeah, so, I don't know. That, that's weird. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what, if it's the um, the website or it's actually what we're they're trotting out in. Um, and then, of course, onto the Ron Massey Cup for the grand final qualifier. Wenty taking on Glebe, 1pm Leichhardt, Sunday, uh, September 16th. Um, so, of course, our man and uh, the uh, Ron Massey Cup player of the year will be leading the, the squad in the seven jersey. Um, Bo Henry, and then there's a there's a um, cast of characters that have sort of been there most of the year. Um, your man, Bernie Lebanon, Jack Morris. The Lebanon sensation, Abbas Miski, at fullback. I thought he left the club, to be honest. I thought he was at North Sydney. Well, speaking Abbas of Miski. North Sydney, they've um, split with um, Souths. So lots of drama yeah, in the Yeah, that's RSP. right. Souths going to be running their own. And yeah. I think that's sort of... Uh, the way the NRL's well, trending, yeah. At least got sixties onto the um the idea of moving. Yeah, sixty sixties is being pushed in that barrow for good cause. But um Penrith split with Windsor a few years ago to take control of their pathways. So it's definitely the the way the NRL's trending it looks like. And Wentworthville they they've beat up on the walls, I think, twice this season, so uh reminded that their for and against was the like ridiculous. Glee. This isn't the Windsor Wolves, this is the Glee Burwood Wolves. Yeah. So, uh, I mean they've they've made it to the qualifying final. So that's From something. fifth, yeah, so. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I, I live near Burwood and I, I can't speak of any notable NRL, like, NRL, but, you know, lower, lower tier rugby league presence, so good on him. But, um, so, so just uh, going back to Bo Henry, um, 
He was not only the top try, well, joint top try scorer with Eli Roberts, also of Wentworthville, on 14 apiece. He is also the top sp- point score. Shit. He is also <laughs> the top point scorer on 206 points, and the next best was Robert Vi on 106. Yeah, so must, two, when, sorry. When you're, when you're equal joint top try scorer and you're the goal kicker, you're going to be leading the um the total point scored um, stakes by a significant margin. It happened to be 100 points. <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> Their what, for and against was positive 299. Oof. <laughs> yeah, once again, it adds another layer of intrigue to why he wouldn't play in OSP this year. Because he's obviously miles too good for this grade, and he would have been very handy for Wenty. So, don't know. So they're the remaining two feeder squads that are in a line for a shot in their grand final in their respective competitions. Well, three teams, I guess. Yeah, with the um, head-to-head game. And that'll about run out the season. Does Shield also play on Grand Final though? I can't remember. No, if they they'll play they'll play the. There's um now the week before they play the state uh, finals, and oh, I think that's they, right. they played at um SFS or Allianz, whatever it's called. So yep. they um they'll play on that day. Yep, but the couple play on the um. Yeah, I, ISP will play the um the national championship against the um, ISC. Yep. All right. Well, let's. Sorry, Bertie, did you have some praise for Bo Henry there, or...? Uh, no, not really, like... Yeah. It's not really... I don't see him any... I don't know, I don't think he'll play... Oh, He's yeah, not going to play first grade. <laughs> he probably would never go play uh, New South Wales Cup, so... You know, it doesn't really uh, affect me, to be honest. I don't know what's the fascination with you and him, to be honest. <laughs> uh, well... As I said before, I think anything's better than what we've got playing in the halves at this particular moment. Um, Unless he's a gun goal kicker. If he's like a sharpshooter, he probably might play one day, but... Well, he's a top point scorer, so... Yeah, Yeah, but he's probably got 50% accuracy. You never know, like... I'd have to have a look at at try score to to conversions, but if you're you're scoring 208 points, you'd think you're you're converting a fair few amount of tries. Mm. Yeah. So 14 tries, take off 14 by 4, and that still leaves him with about 140-ish points in conversions, so 70 kicks. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> Alright, well let's jump season review. So let's start. What went wrong? Oh, Everything. This is going to be good. <laughs> I don't know, do you want to talk about macro or micro problems? Because there's plenty of both. Let's start from the beginning. From the beginning, pre-season, what went wrong? And we can work our way to round 24. I'm I'm going to disagree with Birdie up front here because Birdie's going to be of the belief that the one trial game cost us deeply, whereas I think the overarching problem of how we approached our pre-season fitness is what, you know, hamstrung us more than anything else. But, uh, Birdie, do you think that the one trial game against the Knights comes back? You know, I got in a bit of beef yesterday. Look, all I'm saying (laughs) is, all I'm saying is, my initial comment was, I don't think... Brad Arthur is head coach material, right? And to back up my my whatever my statement was looking at his bench rot uh, was looking at his bench rotation and the and the trial. So the trial, if you think this is the NRL for God's sake, this is the best rugby league comp in the world. If you think you only need eighty minutes of a trial, which some players only played forty minutes to prepare for the NRL, then I'm sorry, but that's you know that's a bit stupid, like. I don't, I don't understand why we only had one trial, and it's evident, you know, the first two weeks we had no ball. Right, it's a Penrith game, the first 30 minutes we dominated. As soon as we started giving away discipline, 
uh, giving away penalties, we we lost momentum, and then they came back. Like you need, especially when the new rule was implemented with the the ten meter line and the play the ball and holding down the rock. Like you need at least you know at least two games to get familiar with it. You know, like no matter how much you you practice, you know, in the um. At, at, at practice, it doesn't matter. It doesn't equate to like match fitness, so like and match conditioning, like and getting used to it. You know, like that's what I reckon. It started wrong with the one trial because who played the whole trial? I think I, I starting at thirteen played what forty minutes of it, not even that thirty minutes of it. Like it's just, yeah, I reckon that put us behind the ball even more, and we didn't adjust to the uh, the new rules and uh, interpretations. That's we made it even worse. So yeah. Well, there might be something to be said about, you know, we've just come through the NFL preseason, having a fixed NRL preseason as well. Um, but, you well, know, that's probably too that's, intelligent for everybody. It's an interesting, <laughs> interesting dichotomy because the the overarching uh, voice coming out of the NFL was that they hate the preseason because there's too many games. Um, NFL players play four preseason games, although at very various levels of participation, depending on, you know, what their uh, squad role is. Um, starters play a lot less than the guys looking to fight for the roster spot but they don't like playing four games. They feel like it adds to injury and uh, wear and tear too much. So there's obviously some sort of balance between the two. Once again, I don't think that that one trial game really hurt us too much. I think it dates back to how we approached our preseason in general. Obviously, we um, we transitioned away from... Uh, uh, who was the previous Ronnie guy? Ronnie Palmer. Ronnie Palmer, that's right, um, to Craig Wilmot. Um, and Wilmot coming from an AFL background, you know, the hope was that he could lift our overall condition and let us you know run run away with games in the back end where we traditionally struggled we'd um often you know fade in the last quarter of games even in 2017 and unfortunately we um we see i thought i thought when he came he didn't improve our fitness but he he changed how we ran like our running style like i think yeah, then there's there's the probably pl- a positive to be brought about maybe and on how i think um ham was talking about this or ron uh as far as I know we've had a lot of freak injuries this year, but the soft tissue and um, and impact injuries are down. I think, <clears throat> which you know probably speaks towards the biomechanical fixes that he's made, which means that there's certainly some merit towards his approach in trying to integrate it into a a different uh, preseason. But our physicality was down. We um, struggled to match opposition teams in the middle with size and um, in contact. We couldn't, you know, wrap wrap up opposition players the way we did last year. Part of that's a rules interpretation thing. We weren't allowed to be as aggressive in defense, pushing up off the line. Uh, but also, I think part of that was a pure conditioning aspect. So in that regard, we really, you know, started on a pretty significant back foot, and it took us a long time to get going. And I think there was a, an appointment made in the halfway point of the season. Um, we we picked up another trainer uh, by way of Penrith, who's an ex Melbourne ex-Melbourne uh, trainer. So there was a connection with Brad Arthur there. But um, at that stage, that was when we sort of started our, I wouldn't say a resurgence, but when we started turning, uh, coinciding with, I think it was the drag, the first Dragons loss, or the only Dragons loss, sorry. The first time we played the Dragons, when we had that really tight loss because of the Will Smith meltdown, that was when it, we started matching teams with a bit more physicality. And obviously there was a couple of blowouts at the back end of the season when the team sort of cashed out. But hopefully we can build from that. And, you know, and with Junior and Sean Lane and Blake Ferguson helping us add a bit of physicality to the start and end of our sets, we can actually match some of those, you know, more premier teams in the middle. And touching on that as well, the the non-replacement of Peter Gentle, who, of course, went to the Souths and 
and it's done some wonders over there with their contact with their um, wrestling and whatever else and you touching on what 40 said you could definitely see that and especially in the last two matches we played our content uh, sorry our contact our wrestle um, and um, our, our we're just completely capitulating at the um, at the ruck essentially um, it's nowhere near good enough and nowhere what it was last season so and that, that's um, what this... the most frustrating part of all this review on on our side not the actual official review is that this team was poised you know it was set up to further its, its success from last year but they just went away from everything that made them successful our halves forgot how to manage games to the you know the most basic of levels our forwards forgot how to tackle and run hard and push up and support and you know and I know there was other factors with injuries and you know bad luck in some games it felt like the bounce of the ball was against us at times but you know from the from the coach to the players to the the auxiliary staff you know that strategize and get these guys fit and whatnot just we will let down fundamentally pretty much every level this year well I think that's right and that's something I'll I've been thinking about <laughs> is that it's not you can't focus on one area you can't say it was no. the next player or you, the players or you'll end the up chasing staff. the tail doing that yeah it, it was an organizational failure from top to bottom and that's what you've got to you've got to fix on every single level before you're going to get back to where you were and i think that you know this this playing group and the coach brett arthur especially have you know banked a fair bit of good faith for what they've done since 2014 i know once again, this is something that Bertie was talking about when we were discussing this off the microphone. Is you know he was contending that we hadn't had any success, but there's certainly been some pretty crazy mitigating factors. Um, headlined by obviously the 2016 salary cap scandal, and even right back to inheriting the mess that Ricky Stewart left the Eels. Um, we've we've been building under Brad Arthur, and he's certainly banks in good faith. But for Brad and and for the vast majority of his playing group next year, it is a do or die, make or break year, isn't it? They're all off contract. They're essentially playing for their career at Parramatta, or career, their future at Parramatta, not necessarily their NRL careers. And everyone has to improve. Oh, we're talking, absolutely. We're talking, we're talking the staff. We're talking the bloody yep. people on the board, the whole club, even the bloody water boy. Make the water colder. Everyone yeah. has to improve. It, you know, I know, you know, I know. It sounds like we're, we're jesting, but at every level, you want to see, you know, significant improvements. You, you need to see significant improvements because with the roster that we're fielding, we could absolutely contend for the eight next year. But by the same token. You could also slip down to twelve for lower because that's what the NRL is like. Winning games isn't easy, and you know there's a, a segment of the market that's cornered off by the, you know, the big spending TPA rich clubs, and then there's the other guys fighting for the scraps. And unfortunately, that's us. And if we want to fight for those scraps, you've got to get real nasty and, and real aggressive. And yeah, like like Hamish said, and like you said, everyone has to step their game up. Everyone has to be accountable. And whatever the outcome of this review is, the official review, of course. Um, you know, we, we need to get on the front foot. We need to hit the preseason running. And just touching back on that, you, you, you were saying just before 40 that it's it's hard to win a, a match of football. Um, well, of NRL, sorry. Um, there's a, there's some NFL podcasts and there's a former player that was on there. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew used to play for the, uh, I think, Oakland Raiders. I think he played for somebody else. But yeah, the Titans Oakland is what Raiders. I think. And Titans, yeah. Um, it's, it, it <laughs> he made a statement of just winning any... Any game of NFL is hard. Yeah. So, you know, you've got 24 matches so, in the NRL. That's it right. It translates. It's so easy to undersell that as well. I know it sounds like a cop-out when you're sitting on the sidelines missing out in September. But, you know, you've got 16 clubs, you know, all fighting two for now for free agents, for juniors. Uh, and like, and as we mentioned various times, there's certain clubs like the Roosters, like the Broncos, <clears throat> and a couple others like Cronulla more recently 
that have a, a significant financial advantage when it comes to TPAs, which means they're boxing out a lot of the other clubs for marquee talent, which means you're starting a season behind the eight ball as it stands. And that's why you can't afford to have these lapses on an organizational level like we had this year. Um, you need to be putting your best foot forwards, you know, from the water boys, like Bertie said, right through to your, your spine, your coaches, your assistant coaches, you know, you, how you strategize for every week, whether it's a percent of a percent difference can be all the difference when it comes to winning these tight games. And it felt like our game planning was ordinary. Um, I know B um, quite rightly point out that our bench management really, really struggled this year. Um, you know, just all these areas need to improve if we're going to contend next year. Not, not even contend for the title, but contend for the top eight. And going on to that about how you fix things, um, I wrote down a couple of points. But the lack of a general manager or, or roster manager or whatever you want to turn them. Um, in the NRL, uh, football manager, whatever you want to term it. Um, but coach builds a roster for now. He's he's in the business of winning this year. And a general manager is there not only for this year, but for, for planning for the future. And I think we're sort of let down this year um, by relying on players who did a job last year and sort of had built with... We got, well, we got, if you look at this on a macro level, we got hit on a in like a bubble where yep. we have a crop of good kids coming through that were 12 to, to 18 months away. And like you said, we had a, a crop of old guys that are filling up the back end of the roster that we couldn't rely on anymore. Um, you know, your Vaves, your Matungis. I mean, Dave Gow was probably... The, King. The, yeah, the Dave Gow was probably the exception here. He was, you know, uh, a very good uh, contributor this year. But yeah, Cam King, uh, Kayser, obviously not old, but, you know, riddled by injuries. And unfortunately, we saw Reed Marnie have some great, you know, great... Uh, showings in first grade and Oregon flashed a little bit in his two games <clears throat> and and on to, we've, we've mentioned all the other kids in our flag and ISP previews across or previews and reviews across the season but we couldn't rely on them we couldn't call them up this year and that hurt us badly you know when we needed to turn to a little bit of youthful energy or or guys that could inject something different to the team we didn't have it and this is something that we've seen the NRL trending to more recently is the American structure of a a head coach and of a general manager or a football manager or however you want to title it. Um, Newcastle had one. I think they, they've separated affairs recently, but South Sydney had one of Shane Richardson. The Penrith Panthers obviously had Phil Gould. Uh, I'm not sure how the Roosters are set up, but I think that the Storm might have a similar setup too, even though Craig Bellamy's obviously got plenty of say um, given his standing in the game and in that club. And it's important because oftentimes the coach is too close to the playing group uh, to make some of these decisions. Not like they, they're trying to make bad decisions, but you get uh, uh, like an inherent bias, perhaps. And like Hamish said, your GM's there to make sure that you're sustainably built for the long term, not just... Because you always want to be contending. You want to always be in the title hunt every year, and that's what your coach is there, to get the most out of the players that he has on hand. And unfortunately, without a draft system in the NRL, it's a little bit hard to uh, pull yourself out of mediocrity like us in Newcastle have struggled to in recent times. But they're still trying to get the best out of their playing roster, but the the GM's the guy that sets you up for prolonged success. And uh, I think Brad's got the right ideas there, but hasn't always executed, especially with the fact that I think for me, the biggest thing is that he's missed of all his marquee men. And some of it's been just shit luck. Um, I mean, what Mo, you can't understand why he brought him over as far as cultural, cultural improvements made. Though. Yeah, and he was a high-risk signing and it, it you know ended in tears. Um, quite literally for, for Chock as his career, you know, flamed out to an injury. And Bo Scott. 
both got we got at least one and a half to two seasons out of him of you know quality production. But once again, he flamed out badly, and um, you know, and this one's probably unfair to to lay at the feet of BA. But um, Kieran Foran was a, a monumentous failure, and no one in the NRL knew that if you had to prior to his stint at Parramatta, he was almost the iconic pinup boy as far as you know queen skin off the field terrific competitor on the field one of the best young halves in the game and unfortunately he tanked for us he had demons that no one knew and that you know sunk a, a huge uh investment that you know was meant to steer our club in the long term so what's so frustrating about that is that the five or six games that him and yeah, were, played together were gosh they were brilliant yeah, <laughs> were absolutely mint there was a fantastic combination and it looked like everything was going to work out and then it didn't and you know, and it sucks for when you, you're trying to argue for and against Brad Arthur in that he's done some incredible stuff in the mid and low range of recruitment expenditure. You know, right from finding someone like David Gower and turning him from a career journeyman into a, a productive NRL player, through to finding absolute diamonds in the rough in Clinton Gufferson and Nathan Brown. But you know, when you when you consistently miss if you're marquee guys, it you know it absolutely undermines one of the big pillars of your roster construction, and that's. And that's, yeah, you can also really look at um, this year and next year, we have a lot of players off contract. So when you're relying on players who you can tell they're not in your plans, like you look at the Vabes, you know, the Matangis, like these players are not going to get renewed. So why should they put in 100% effort for because, the season? Because they're playing for a contract elsewhere. That's what I'd say yeah. if you're a professional footballer is what you should be doing. But and let's be honest, in, it, it happens even in the industry. If you're working for a company and they know they're going to let you off in, at the end of your contract, you're not going to put in 100%. Like, any look, rugby league, like especially NRL, you can find a job easily in, in the Super League. They're always looking for players. You know, look at you got people who go in there when they're in their twilight of their careers, exactly you know? Next year, yeah. But, but like, the, just, I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but the difference in effort levels could result in a difference in 50K or, or 80K a year when it comes to a contract. So... I mean, I can buy why players wouldn't try this year for Parramatta because of how big the meltdown was on a you know club level. But I don't buy that in a contract year you don't put in because these guys these well, guys look need, at Matungi. need to put in. Matungi's, he left. He's had a, he signed a, what, a three year deal in the Super League. Like he wasn't our best forward. Like he he had he clearly was a liable defence, and yet he got picked up. So I'm just I don't know. Like maybe. Maybe it wasn't a good idea, like because at least the positive to having so many people off contract is you can do mass changes without paying people out. Well, but... that, that's that's where they, where I was going to go to next is that uh, regardless of how the future plays out with Brad Arthur as head coach of the Eels, whether he you know he earns a an extension next year because we hit the ground running and play some great footy or not, um, if we do go in a different direction, the uh, the new coach and I assume football manager, given what the review may or may not say will have almost uh, complete autonomy over the salary cap because we have so many players off contract at the end of 2019. So they'll but be also, to... you could argue the reverse of that, Bertie, is there was a fair few contracted players who at least have a, a yeah, deal for next put, season. Put their, put their um, feet up and definitely cruised. And put the queue in the rack, and especially our, our half pairing. Um, so um, next point, well, I think we've covered that all. But uh, lack of dominant half and big dick energy. Um, so. <laughs> that big dick energy really, really crumbled. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about Mitchell Moses and Corey Norman just because it makes my blood pressure rise. Um, whether there is actually an off-field issue between the two, which given how many times it's popped up in the media, I wouldn't be surprised. I've got no inside information there, just the fact that, you know, where there's smoke, there's, there's smoke, fire. There's fire. 
Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the fact that neither of those two, I mean, and you look at the way they acted towards each other on the field, adds credence to that idea. Um, the fact that the two of them couldn't settle, uh, set aside their egos for the betterment of the team, I get that, you know, both want to be the guy, be the dominant half and run the show, but fuck me, like, you're, you're literally hamstringing this team. Um, you know, we we had a very simple game plan that was super, not even simple, but we had a, we had a very effective game plan last year when it came to our halves as far as game manage, game management is concerned when we had our long kicks to the corner and our short kicks along the ground. And it, you know, wore teams down. And we got glimpses of that this year in very sporadic bursts. And when we did it, it was games that we, you know, really established ourselves in. But too often, both Norman and Moses opted for a, a absolutely ineffective midfield bomb or just, you know, couldn't find range on the short kicks or long kicks. I mean, you look at our last game against the Roosters, Corey Norman starts the rot with two grubber kicks that go dead for 20-minute restarts, and then Mitchell Moses says, well, shit, I'm not going to be outdone, and he boots the ball by 20 metres over the sideline. I just, like, how are you meant to compete when you're, you're two marquee halves? And these are the guys getting paid the most in the squad. You know, they're not getting paid peanuts here. They're getting paid <clears throat> 700000 to 900000 depending on what media report you believe, per year. And they just absolutely melted down across the season, week in and week out. And it's just not good enough. Definitely not. And uh, those two, I think, are the definition of flat track bullies. And, yeah, you know, that, that's... Um, I, I, don't, I didn't want to live that accusation. That, you know, like, I, I didn't want to live that accusation before. Paddlers, yeah. No, they're... they're you know, if you're going to throw an accusation, I mean, as far as that, I think flat track bullies is the best one. You know, when they have a, a terrific platform to play off in the forwards. They'll, you know, throw their weight around and look real flash, but gang gets into a tussle and they don't want to roll up their sleeves and, and play the ugly brand of football that gets you into the contest. Yeah, that's the very definition between your good slash great players um, or what you'd probably reference in the NFL as a blue chip player. Um, and, and, and that's another thing about the roster construction sort of when you're, you're looking at going to, to grand finals and playing deep finals runs, you've got to have a number of blue chip players and, and, and looking at our squad, can you see, I, I don't no, know if we, you can find any. We've, we've got a lot of great foil pieces. Like if you could insert two blue chip players in that team, that you know these guys would go to another level as far as... Especially the, a half and a hooker. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you know, we're, we're hopefully, hoping that Reed Miner can develop into something similar to that, even though that's a pretty heavy mantle to assume for a 20-year-old rake. <clears throat> but uh, the half problem next year, well, that's that's going to make or break us, I think. Because I think the forward pack improves with um, the addition of Junior Paul. Obviously, Sean Lane might give us a little bit of something. And tangentially, uh, Blake Ferguson helps the pack by getting us better field position earlier in the sets. But without um, the halves stepping up, and whether it's Norman and Moses both being retained despite rumours of both being shopped around, or if it's one or the other in conjunction with um, Jamin Salmon or Dylan Brown or whoever else, you know, plays as the uh, off playmaker. We just need so much more out of um, our halves next year. And, and the issue wasn't even, you know, um, getting repeat seats, repeat sets in the red zone. It was finishing off those those chances. Yeah. Um, too many we, times. Like, we I squandered think so and, many yeah, times. I th- Norman and Moses sort of, I think, as carve combinations, they'd be right up there with um, repeat sets and yeah, I'd say they'd be top five in the NRL pretty, pretty comfortably. Yeah. But um, we but, just couldn't capitalize on pressure, and on the flip side, we we melted at pressure at the slightest sign of it. And then obviously the famous stat that you brought up every other week because it felt like every two weeks we're adding to that figure in that 
how many times do we end up? Eight seven. or nine times? Seven, there you go. Seven. Seven times we finished with equal tries but lost the game. And that's, I mean, I know the media like to trot out the line about Canberra this year and the year before about the six-point games or either they lost. Uh, and it's a similar stat to that. You know, you're giving yourself the opportunity to win these games even if it means winning ugly which is what a lot of these results were. Because when, when you think back on it, there's obviously the last two games of the season, and then the first Newcastle game and the first Manly game, they were the only four horrific losses that we sustained um, on the scoreboard. Every other game we you know, had a chance to win in spite of our, our own worst efforts. And that's where that, you know, that figure of seven games of scoring the same tries but not converting comes back to kill you. And usually... When you look at the stats and the metrics, um, probably in 2017, we probably won about seven games where we scored the same amount of uh, tries as our opposition, and then it swung the other way this and year. And the, the, there's an argument for regression to the mean and, and sort of yep. the, the balance exactly of that sort right. of stuff coming out on, on the way to things. But <clears throat> the, the way we went about our play style in 2017 meant that we gave ourselves the best possible chance of winning those close games, and it was the absolute polar opposite this year where we, we actively sabotaged ourselves at times, um, you know, to win these tight affairs. And we got into plenty of them, you know, regardless of how bad our foreign against finished up at the season. Like I said, there was only four games where I, I thought we were absolutely out of the the battle um, by half time or close enough. And, you know, once again, we're, we're left, you know, lamenting at the end of the year about what could have been, even as far as dodging the spoon and not making the finals. We just, we could not put our best foot forwards at almost any time uh, put our best foot forwards at almost any time this year. But if you think there's consolation there for, you know, going back to metrics, so seven games, let's just take it to eight. You win half of them, that's four. That gives you ten wins. You're still two off making the finals in any event. Yeah. So uh, that uh, just shows yeah. how much better you've got to be. Um, yeah. And then we've already touched on yardage, penalties, ill-discipline, lack of footy fitness. Um I think we've sort of brushed across lack of injuries from senior players, i.e. Norman and Jennings, um, and and more spine players, etc. Um, the regression of Cameron King, Jesus. Um, I, I don't mean to single players out, but wow. Um, that was very unfortunate. And you could obviously yeah, see, especially in those last couple of weeks where you were playing Reed Marnie, that the, the whole team picks up as soon as he came on the field. Yeah, and you know, Reed had his issues been a rook, coming in and trying to handle the pace and intensity of the NRL, but it was quite noticeable, the difference in the team, from service to even just defensive intent. And, yeah, Cameron Cameron King was really unfortunate because he was so he was such a good story last year. He was so consistent in all different facets of the game. You know, he defended well enough, passed cleanly, and added a really nice tactical kicking game from dummy half, and that just went completely out the window this year. And I, I, you know, you can't put your finger on why, because he wasn't injured, or at least he, he had, you know, the odd nick and and week out that you'd expect from most players when you're playing such a physical game. But he wasn't, you know, bogged down by long-term injuries, and he just regressed. And unfortunately, that put us at a huge disadvantage at hooker because uh, we we couldn't roll the dice and read too early, and it meant that Kaze um, Pritchard had a shoulder load, and Kaze unfortunately is made of glass, you know tough player that he is in play style he just he can't sustain his play style in the NRL and Will Smith unfortunately turns out he's not as good a hooker as we would hope he would turn into um, obviously the the first Dragons game being the case in point of what harm he can do to the team when he goes alright and when you've got your 6 and 7 misfiring 
and you're, you're nine, you can't lock down to any given player between injuries and form and whatnot. Um, and then at fullback, you've got you've got um, Jared Hayne, who wasn't fit enough to take the mantles at fullback for the vast majority of the year between injuries and his um, Fiji water scare. And Bevan French, form-wise, didn't warrant being picked at number one. And Gufferson wasn't physically capable of playing number one coming back from his um, second ACL on on the... Uh, I'm not sure which knee it is. I'm not going to take the 50-50, but it was the second ACL on the same knee. You know, our one, six, seven, and nine were all, you know, for various reasons and um, issues, dog shit. So you're not going to win many games that way, unfortunately, when it comes to closing out the aforementioned close games. And then moving on to injuries. Um, so the stat coming out that I had is that we only played the same 17 players in consecutive weeks on one occasion. So wow. <laughs> uh, using the second most amount of players um, behind Manly, who, of course, we've touched on before, uh, they went through there. And that, this is the thing that really gets me, is they were primed for their first spoon in their club's history yeah. with everything and we, we happening, just, and, yeah, and we, we bottled it. it. Yeah, we, we bottled it. it. Yeah. Absolutely bottled it. I... Jeez, but um, that that's that's amazing, and, and was it Michael Jennings the only player to play every game for the Eels? That's exactly right. Plus playing right. one for Wentworthville in our bye week. Yeah, that's right in the bye week. So congrats, Michael, in that regard, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and it's an underrated narrative for the year in, in as far as trying to develop the consistency you need to once again win those close games as filled in the same seventeen. And I know from a personal note, doing the team list Tuesdays for TCT, it honestly felt like. Here's the team list. Oh, I've got to write about this injury because you know, you know, X or Y notable player was out for you know four or five weeks, and you know we just couldn't we couldn't get the same seventeen out. We couldn't get the same core players out, and it felt like the only core players that we could keep in the team were Mitch Moses and Corey Norman, and we've already gone um, into depth as to why that wasn't necessarily a good thing for the Eels this year. Yeah, I think it was three three players. I have to look back at it that had played twenty plus games. So. And two of them being Norman and Moses. <laughs> um, and then I want to touch on something that, of course, um, Ham would probably ask me to touch on, which is the lack of um, football department resourcing and, and you know, the, the Leagues Club wanting to spend money on, on the footballing department. And I understand in the last couple of years they've, they've footed a, a very hefty bill and they've got to keep the members happy too. Um, but the Leagues Club was set up to fund the football club. So... Um, I think they've sort of got to get back to I that. I mean, you only need to take a, one look at our, res, our resources as far as training and, and preparation compared to some of the marquee clubs and to understand the the golf in, in difference. And this came up in the media recently because of the whole Trent Barrett, Sean Penn saga, where Trent Barrett <clears throat> obviously feuding with the Pens as far as what he was promised for preparation and, and training at Manly. And the Pens fired back with, you know, this football club won two titles with the same resources and I understand that it's it's a once again a percent of a percent or even maybe a percent sort of thing where you're squeezing out you know, diminishing returns as far as <clears throat> results on the field but we've covered this in depth again in the competition as close as the NRL a percent of a percent is sometimes the difference and unfortunately for the we also had some really nasty stuff happen with our um, training equipment this year uh, what was the outbreak of late in the Boils. season? Boils yeah yeah, so biblical stuff. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, it felt biblical this year with all the plagues and curses raining down on the hills. So why not boils? 
Um, that's something we do need to... And like Hamish said, there is an obligation to the members of the Parramatta Leagues Club to efficiently efficiently allocate resources, but by the same token, the Leagues Club was set up to support the football club. So <clears throat> we do need to expend better, but not, not needlessly, but efficiently and effectively in the football department. And hopefully the review will... I know that there's been, what, four or five or six positions posted on SEEK for the Eels in recent times as far as um, trainers and uh, performance managers and a football GM. So the the club's getting into gear with the findings from the review, obviously. But we need to make sure that, you know, they hit the right areas. So hopefully that review does exactly what it's meant to do. And probably another point would be, um, of course, what the one that 60s is banging on and and a couple of other um, key, uh, well, I guess commentators around the game um, although without as big a platform as, as some others but um, regarding playing all under the same banner of uh, the blue and gold from, from first grade down to to, um, to the 20s having the three grades playing you're about to get your new stadium you'd hope to bring back you know a couple of grades if well, you've got to work with the New South Wales Rugby League to get that in, in accordance but moving away from having uh, Wentworthville run um, our ISP team, and I know Birdie, I'll let you have your rant about about a coach um, being absent from training. Oh, bro, like... that's like stupid. That's like yeah, that... under fifteen level. Oh, I can't come. Like that's why I knew this club. It was just oh, what's the word? They weren't prepared, or they were cutting corners, or like they weren't prepared from the top to bottom. You know, with the players, like how can you miss a training for a New South Wales competition? Like. For ISP, like, it's just, oh, you know, it's stupid, like. I think, I mean, this isn't a disrespect to the Wentworthville Magpies, but I think taking back ownership of that ISP is very important because it is meant to be your primary vehicle for developing NRL talent. The the flag and the district reps is where you identify and, you know, bring these kids on both on and off the field. But to make them NRL players, they need to be playing men in the intra-super premiership. And unfortunately for us, we haven't had the luxury of a good development vehicle in Wenty for God knows how many years now because Wenty have you know been strugglers in the ISP and formerly the New South Wales Cup for, I'd say, dating back to when James Maloney took them to the premiership almost. The, the years since then, they've been in the finals every now and then, but they've never been contenders. And, you know, trying to throw young kids into... A struggling team like Wenty, and this this isn't an indictment on Wenty. This probably goes to as so often goes towards both parties. Maybe the Eels didn't give the Wenty the resources that Wenty deemed sufficient, and I don't think Wenty always acted with the vision that the Eels would um would have preferred when it comes to choosing young talent over uh, Wenty contracted guys. So I, I mean, we don't know the inner workings of that relationship and who has roster control over every little bit, but. If you bring that back under your banner, you don't have to worry about the joint venture and you know trying to placate both sides because it's a, a tough working relationship to keep both sides happy. You can you know prioritize developing your kids because winning a title in the ISP is great, but you want your kids to have the best environment to develop in, and that's when you want your Dylan Browns, your Ethan Parrys, your Tui Afualos, your Stefano Toikamanos, all those kids that we've talked about ad nauseum this year that have got you know plenty of talent but they're just that half a step away from the NRL. Um, and you need them to be up against the men. And we did that a little bit at the end of this year. 
but you need them to be up against the men to have them ready to play NRL because it is a different a different speed and more than speed it's a different intensity you know the hits are harder the the guys know how to be more aggressive off the line and defense and the the pace of the game doesn't drop after 30 or 40 minutes in a row and that's why I think it's important to bring the the ISP banner back to the Eels and also touching on consistency you've got those up and comers training a lot with the um the first grade squad but of course um, Wentworthville being part-timers um, train separately well, that's right yeah exactly so and that, that's another, another important part is bringing those training structures and playing structures under one banner unified so that when you go from flag to ISP and from ISP to NRL you'll come into the team knowing that this is how you play in the red zone or this is how you play when you're defending your goal line so you can you know you, you still have to adapt to the pace of the game and to the players around you but you understand the overarching concepts that the team deploys offensively and defensively think you summed that up better than anybody else could there, Forty. <laughs> um, well, unless you guys have got any other points, I think we'll move on to some positives. Just win your nerds. <laughs> well, yeah, there we are. <laughs> we get a brand new stadium and Manly don't have nothing. <laughs> the, the, the stadium will be will be a big a big bright spot next year, and I know that it's going to be a tough sell to get fans out there after the horror year that we um, endured. But there is reason for optimism, which we can touch on now. So, just touching on that, uh, sometimes it does pay to be a Westie, a fibro, as opposed to born with a silver spoon in your mouth, because, of course, the Northern Beaches has been a liberal-held seat, and the margin is always, you know, 20-30% or whatever it is. But out West, you've got to win your um, you've got to win your elections every three or four years, whenever they come around. Um, and then, of course, the state elections. And, um, of course, giving us a new stadium out here, it's going to put the, the guys in charge in good stead. <laughs> um, so getting a new stadium out west, uh, the, the kickoff date is apparently... So 70% completed, apparently, at the moment. And kickoff date at Anzac Day, potentially. I was, I was about to say, the, the other part of that, the other part of it, not the deal, but what's coming as a package, it looks like, is we get another unique standalone public holiday game. So that's kind of cool. We get to join in on the Anzac Fund with what looks to be a, a scheduled annual fixture. Yep, so there might be a couple of games still at ANZ. Um, we've got to check out how that breaks down. I don't think they released the, the draw until November or December or something. I can't remember. Well, a while yet anyway. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a little bit still, yeah. So that's the one, one big positive is getting uh, your new stadium um, to play out of every week and getting away from ANZ Stadium. Um, but having said that, our away record this year was 0-12, so it'll have to be a lot better um, yeah. if, <laughs> if we're going to make um, a run at the finals. Of course, our home record being 6-12, and um, and one of those games being up at, at um, Northern Territory. Uh, but I, I think I attended every win this year, um, funnily enough, but for, of course, the, the, the game the up territory, in Northern yeah. Territory. Yeah. So, Manly Tigers missed the Cowboys' win. I was at the Dragons. I was at the Titans. And there was one more. God, it's hard to remember <laughs> who, we, who we beat. Manly. Um, no, I already shouldn't said be that hard. No, we said Manly. We won Manly and Tigers back-to-back when we broke that six-game streak. And we yeah. won and Titans and Dragons done, back-to-back. Titans, Dragons. Bulldogs. And Cowboys. the Bulldogs. Oh, that's the, the one I missed. I missed that Bulldogs match. There you are. So, four. Four of six. 
because that Bulldogs one I think was on a Thursday night. So it was a Thursday night game, yeah. It's hard to look back, and you know, you say we're starting the season, thinking you know our record probably should be flipped on what it ended up. Yeah, um, honestly, or at I least mean, close you look to. at you look at that table this year, and it's so frustrating. You know, we we'd finish minor premiers if we had our results from last year, and obviously you can't you can't just do that one to one different season all that. But if we just played anywhere near our potential, it didn't even have to be you know top tier. You put yourself right in the box seat to win one of the tightest um, seasons. Um, in recent memory and can I just say just as an NRL wide concept tight doesn't mean good <laughs> no that, that, that's a yeah it's a misunderstanding I suppose that tight does not mean good it's like that South uh, Melbourne game over the weekend it was like watching rugby the, the scrum lines were that close and it was it was garbage I had to have it that was, argument with um, with Mitch I, I just yeah, thought it was a garbage it was a game good, it was a good game in spite of the referee which doesn't make it a good game in general, but they the, the two teams you know conspired to make some exciting stuff happen in spite of the officials putting the whistle away and deciding to play rugby union, like you said. Um, the Storm scored some fantastic tries and there was some aggressive defense, but uh, as a as a rugby league game, I think it had a lot to, to be desired. Well, my favorite part was uh, Cam Smith being five meters offside and then complaining that he was allowed to be offside when the South ran through the gap that he left. <laughs> Um, but yeah, a bit of shooting for it. Um, all right, sorry, we were talking about positives. So I'm going to think of new talent. Reed Marnie, Murata, Nia Corey, James Salmon, Oregon Kafusi, Race Gun. Well, Rose Stone didn't probably have a very good debut, but um, it, it, it wasn't a flattering debut because he's a back rower yep. that is meant to be an emergency hooker and not necessarily a great one. And unfortunately, playing, playing emergency hooker against the Melbourne Storm in Melbourne is probably as tough as it gets. What else? <laughs> yeah, what else George, George Jennings pretty much surprised George a, a lot of players. had a strong know? half of the season before yep. getting caught down in the grind. Um, we've talked about Daniel Alvaro and Penny Torepo emerging and elevating their game, and I hope we, they can um, cement the, that level of play next year alongside guys like Junior and Blake Ferguson. Um, our recruitment in general is actually pretty good. Um, Junior is going to be the cornerstone of our pack moving forwards. And I it's hope that he can live up to that doing. Yeah, and that, that'll be the big focus is not shedding too much weight because you need that impact, but he's definitely got to take off a few um a few potato sacks around the waist. Um, so you got him, Blake Ferguson, who has an error in his game, admittedly, is a tremendous worker of the ball in he's between the 20s. almost over 200, 200 metres a yeah. game at the moment. But between, so. between the 20s, he does so much work for his team. And he's a pretty handy finisher, which is something the Eels have lacked on the, the edges um, this year. Semi obviously was a, a superstar when it came to creating tries, but he wasn't the cleanest finisher um, when it came to those almost, uh, you know, what you'd expect of a modern winger when it came to tiptoeing down the sideline and, and pocketing the ball in the corner. So Blake would give that to us. And Sean Lanesbury got the biggest question mark over him because it's his first consistent year since he exploded onto the scene for the Dogs back in, what, 2014, 2015, or whatever it was? Yep. Um, so he's got, you know, lots of potential, and he feels a, an archetype, body type, that we haven't got in the, in the team right now. Well, we do have in the team, but Kane hasn't played to what we hoped of him. So there's there's reason to be optimistic about recruitment, um, reason to be optimistic about the, the juniors that we blooded this year, reason to be optimistic about the juniors that we didn't blood this year. Um, once again, we've talked about him. Uh, to you know, infinity and beyond, but um, you know them by name: Dylan Brown, Ethan Perry, Tuli Afoalu, 
uh, uh, Stefano Toikamano is probably the most important one when it comes to the forwards. But there's you know them and more across the the park for our twenties and even younger. There are plenty of talent there. And I suppose the the big one is that the review does what it's meant to do, and it might not manifest straight away. But the hope is that the club is set in the right direction long term from what the the findings come out um, whenever they do come out officially. And just on Sean Lane, um, we're going to have to hope it's not going to be as terrible as those recent uh, manly acquisitions, the only shining light being a, uh, a back in Gutherson. <laughs> and, and David Gower, to be fair, he was um, pretty handy for us when it comes to value on the contract versus value on the field. But yeah, we haven't enjoyed the uh, most fruitful relationship with Manly. And to be fair, it, it's been reciprocal. They've picked yep. up a lot of our um, off-casts and not really gotten much out of them too. So I think Jamie Lyon, should... of course, being the difference. That's right. And you go back to, what, 2004 for that, 2005? Yeah, so, but of course he went to ISP and then... Uh, sorry, England, ESL. Yeah, he, for St. Helens and then came back. That's all right. So I'm just trying to scale my brain for more positives. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Gutherson will be a year removed. Um, that's well, actually, over a year removed that's from his ACL. Because an ACL, even though he did a great job to come back that early, it takes 18 months to two years to to come back from that, especially it being his second. And, you know, he really gutsed it out for us this year. Unfortunately, he struggled in the last two games at centre defensively. But yep. that was possibly endemic of widespread um, defensive issues for the team. Structural as opposed to that, individual. Exactly. And it's certainly not a, a matter of effort or application for Gufferson. He was, you know, throwing his body around. Just it's a matter of fixing up that edge, starting from probably the ruck. Because, you know, when you've got two and three man overlap, something's gone wrong on the interior. Maybe a positive touching on what Ham might have to say. Um, would It seems potentially that, that Jared Hayne is going to re-sign for next season, at least a one-year deal potentially to pay, play in his preferred fullback role. Um, and I know... I, mean, I think we saw Hems, enough from Jared to, to warrant that. Well, it, it depends. I, I think I've sort of touched on what, what what are your long-term plans? And I guess you can't make those without having a general manager of football. But um, I know you're not very high on um, Bevan French, but he certainly showed a fair bit of application in that last final game against the Roosters. I know it was missing for for th- uh, the majority of the season. Oh yeah, but... I won't I won't knock the effort in that last game. He definitely pulled his finger out. That try saver on Tedesco was out of his world as far as the effort to get across from the other side of the field and then wrap him up, you know, inches from the goal line. Um, French definitely, you know, tried. And I think that Bevan can still succeed. I don't know if we've always given the best uh, platform both um, from the forwards and structurally the way we deploy him at fullback to have him succeed at para. But whether it's here or somewhere else, I can see him succeeding at fullback, but it's going to take more effort. Um, and if but, he's not your guy, I, I see a, a gap between where we are depth-wise at fullback because Gufferson's there as well, but he's got the question marks about his knee. And then to the next generation where you've got Johnny Fanua or Sione Fanua, who's talented but streaky, and then below him, JP Nora, who's only turned 18 this year. Yep. So... I, I could see Jared being a, essentially a bridge fullback because we don't have the pieces in place to uh, succeed him at the moment. Like, That's what I mean, like, uh, because this is why I'm so hard on having a general manager of football is because for next season, Brad Arthur's, and, and it's not a criticism, but if you're working as a first-grade coach, you're thinking about not only about the te- team getting the best outcome, but you're also thinking about saving your ass. And next year, he's going to be saving his ass. So, 
does does putting Hayne back at fullback is that an arse saving manoeuvre or is that what's best for the club moving forward? And if you and sign him for three years, I'd say it's an arse saving manoeuvre. Um, the the one year, you know, sort of not prove it because that would have been what he did this year. Um, taking a one year deal, I think, is the having your cake and eat it almost in that you haven't got the immediate answers ready to go. Jared gives you a high upside solution that you know can be an X factor, and at his best is still, you know, Jared's not at his physical best like he was from 2009-2014, but even 75% of Jared Hayne is still better than 85% of the rest of the NRL, or at least in my opinion. It's just a matter of, you know, getting him into the, the games consistently. All right, well, we've got a very long off-season. Um, players are going to have a rest for a little while. Uh, Ham, no rest for the weekend there. Um, out with the juniors, um, scouting. Uh, hopefully to have a report to deliver back on the uh, the under-15s coming through. Um but um, there's a lot of, as, as you know, we've discussed a couple of times before, a lot of off-season, off-season movement. Um, there's a lot of players that are that are off contract at the moment that we've reportedly been talking to, um, and a couple under contract that we've been reportedly talking to as well. Um, so there's there's lots of movements to come in this off-season. Um, obviously, I refuse. Coaches. I refuse to set myself up for heartbreak with Martin Tapau. I just know uh, the Roosters going to come in at some point. Uh, and he's get going in. to the Roosters. Yeah. <laughs> And Dylan Napa's coming to para. Or Jared Moore Because in all seriousness, if Roosters do get to power, they're going to have to shift one of those players out. So. No, they just lost no, they, Ryan they, Madison. They, they lost Ryan Madison and, and Paul Momorowski, who's like, you know, some depth center. So they've cleared out and all the cap back, they yeah. need. I mean, and could you blame, like on a realistic note, could you blame Martin Tapau? Because he's going to get better money at the Roosters and walk into instant title pre- like title contention. And corporate so, partnership deals, yeah. And set yeah, set yourself up off the field corporate partnership wise. So, it, it, this is a endemic of widespread problems with the TPA system, the NRL, and the haves and have nots when it comes to clubs. So, I was reading a really good um, piece. If, if anybody reads the um, the, the Herald, Malcolm Knox, um, talking about uh, unfortunately for you, um, Birdie, the the Sydney Swans and the GWS Giants. Um, and how it, the AFL pushing into that market and having two teams in Sydney, how it's such a poor reflection on the NRL and their long-term planning on um, being so hell-bent on News Corp slash Brisbane Broncos and them having such a, a, a big power players to not have a second Brisbane team. Um, doesn't have to be in the city of Brisbane, but you know, within, even if it's harkening back to southeast Queensland crushes. But I think, you know, we're just so short-term plan. NRL needs to grow up as a as as a competition, and you know you're saying you're professionals, but we, as a whole competition, yeah, it's just nowhere near good enough. And oh, I think that there's a multitude of issues. <laughs> shooting yourself in the foot repeatedly. The NRL is one of the worst culprits of it. Oh, you know the their digital platform is disgustingly back, almost primeval. You know the they've made it so you can't use NRL Live or NRL Game Pass, whatever it's called, on a desktop or laptop device it can only be used on a portable uh, device aka like a tablet or phone up to a resolution of 480p I think so like we're talking like mid 2000s streaming and we're in 2018 where but, uh, 
not even talking about technology, talking about, you know, releasing player signing. Like, look at the NFL. We, we realize Aaron Rodgers just signed and he's got guaranteed, like, $90 million. And we, we've got all the ins and outs of that deal. Um, and, you know, our excuse for not releasing player amounts is to protect protect them. If, if you're happy enough to, to have another sport not protecting $90 million being paid... You know what's what's the big deal here, and 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 they've come out recently and said, well, you know, Melbourne and and Roosters have big t bigger TPAs than what Br- Brisbane do, but that just begs the question: how much of this is above board and how much is below? Well, didn't didn't Greenberg or someone of similar ill come out and say that the Storm had the most TPAs? That's right, in the Billy, NRL with with, like, um, with yeah. seven hundred thousand or eight hundred thousand total or something. Mm-hmm. It's like you look at that Roosters roster and that Broncos. You look at the Broncos spending, trying to retain their team from the the most you know recent weeks, uh, dating up to Pengai Jr. supposedly re-signing and Corey Oates looking to re-sign once he ditches his manager, and the numbers just don't add up. So I don't know. And and but, and the two biggest TPA holders are, can you guess, as individual players? One you probably could. Bill Slater? No, no, Billy Slater and, 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 who, who, and who do you think's the second one? Munster. No, not Munster. Darius Boyd. Sam Thorday. Sam Thorday. That was close-ish. But, I mean, this dates back to Darren Lockyer being supposedly under the cap for $250,000. The, you know, Queensland, Australian captain, uh, immortal caliber player. And, you know, the the, the system doesn't work. And I understand that the NRL is trying to do a, a dance to avoid restriction of trade complaints, but... There is no restriction of trade when it comes to publishing salaries and letting the the media and fans pick apart obvious discrepancies when it comes to a player's notional value versus what they're getting on the books. Although we we could probably argue, or people could argue against us, that we sort of got hain for under what would be uh, notional value, considering that he had a deal at Titans with TPAs included to be about one point two million a year, and then taking a grant downgraded contract to five hundred grand under the cap. I mean, that that would absolutely come under the scope of that, and that's what Paul Kent was arguing for the longest time this year. But you could argue on the flip side that there were mitigating circumstances surrounding Haynes' lack of form at the Titans, lack of production. And, he wasn't a rep player as well, so he wasn't playing for Australia or New South Wales. So. He was playing for New that, South Wales last year. Wasn't he? Yeah. For, for Titans? Yeah, when he was Titans, he, he played, played the three games, um, oh, probably undeservedly, games, so. <laughs> unfortunately. Oh damn! What he was But yeah, that that mean to be fair, if we're gonna you know label other teams, you know manipulators of notional value and whatnot, that would absolutely come within the scope of of the the public domain. Seeing him here being registered to five or six hundred thousand dollars <throat> under what he had with the Titans, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy for that to be you know in the firing line as much as anything else. And of course, Mr. G making his appearance in the um the Brisbane press box. Um yeah. <laughs> Mr. four hundred thousand dollar four hundred fifty golden four fifty golden handshake, don't talk about it. And that I mean that's the difference between one of the differences between our cheating and the Broncos is that we didn't have the they didn't have the whistleblower, didn't they? Well, our, that's exactly our right. golden handshake to Scott Seward didn't wasn't worth diddly squat. And you know, I don't, don't condone the cheating, but it's amazing that the NRL didn't try and you know pursue Andrew G. They essentially said, "Well, he's not employed by one of our um, clubs anymore, so it's outside of our domain." And that was that. So, yes. Um, what's what's that line out of um, Animal Farm? 
some some people are more equal than others. Yeah, yeah, the old Orwellian. Um, everyone's equal, but some are more equal than others. All right. Well, on that bright note, <laughs> capping off a bright season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, we we've, wanna... we've gone full full Orwell by the end of this review. Oh my god. Well, it is a bit Orwellian, you know, looking at the um, the greater picture of everything, looking at um, what's happening in America and, and Trumpism oh, and all that sort of thing. It's it's a bit it's a bit if, insane. If you didn't know better, George Orwell came from the future and wrote those bloody books. Seriously. Yeah, he he was just what three decades off. So yeah, him, yeah. Uh, Jules Verne, and all the other types that wrote their dystopian, you know, future sci-fi sort of stuff. They they hit the nail um, right in the head of the hammer. Yeah, but probably you know, living in it, you probably think it's worse than what it was, and 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 what happened before wasn't as bad as as what it is because you're not living through it. But true. It's certainly um, a brave new world at the moment, so um, yeah, <laughs> Aldous Huxley, go and read that one. Yeah, Huxley, yeah. yeah <laughs> that, that first um, chapter, I have to say, yeah, wow, um, get on to that. Um, yeah. All right, well, we, we, we don't have any previews, um, but for, we've already touched on the Shield and the Ron Massey Cup, of course, Bo Henry's going to lead the uh, Ron Massey Cup uh, Wentworthville Magpies. <laughs> to the promised land. Well, to back-to-back, back-to-back prims. Um, back to back I tell you what if the storm go back to back this year I'm going to be so disappointed I'm going to be so angry I, I don't yeah. want them to go back to back they for all their cheating throughout the years they could never do it and if they do it now I'll be filthy I think I think it they had a 50-50 game against South in their first home match I'm just worried that things are going to change around because I, I you know, I was saying it in the Discord that we sort of got dicked pretty hard down there last year in the um the first uh, week of finals. Cam three six five. Um, so you just think potentially that things will swing around um, next week when they play. Um, who do they have to play? The the winner of They'll Sharks. Play the winner of Sharks oh, there you are. Panthers. So Sharks, Sharks get over the Panthers Sharkies. this weekend, and Sh- Sharks, Sharkies. knock them out down in Melbourne. Yep, that's right. If any um, team can do it, it's them. Exactly. Um, they love Hashtag the grind. And, and poor Kurt Capewell. Uh, put put, one, out, put, put gonna... one nut out for, for Capewell. <laughs> yeah. Bro, I instantly, I started thinking, God, poor bastard. Poor, well, it's poor happened to guy. a fair few and, and potentially... Kaiser. And, yeah, Kaiser we think Kaiser. happened to him against the Sharks. <laughs> and and also, um, who was the former hooker for, for Panthers? Um he did it in the, um, oh, the origin. Yeah. Um, Wallace. Uh, yeah, Wallace. Peter Wallace, yeah. yeah. Who, who's in their yes. co- coaching staff now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, for all the gentlemen who listen, one nut out in um, the, solidarity. The real, real previews now, boys, the NFL. And that's where all the, um, the important yep. stuff is. Yep. We'll, we'll get to that if our shout we'll out. We'll do, do it at that in the plug. So, Bertie, um, your, your Swans having a loss, your Cowboys. How did Tottenham go? They lost their last game before the international break, but <laughs> so I haven't had a I haven't had a win for like three weeks now. And I gave you down a bad team. tip on the horses too. My apologies. Oh yeah, yeah, just then uh, yeah. You got jumped at the gate. Yeah, well that's exactly right. It's it stayed in the gate, <laughs> and it flashed home for third. But um, yeah. Did you go both ways or just um for outright? <sighs> you know. I'm not here to um to to f spiders to 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 put it that way, uh, and unfortunately <laughs> I was down at um the entrance on the weekend and I was about to play you know because I had a bad day on the horses and there's this horse machine there which is like a lightning cash one, and um got talked out of it, and then um 
about half an hour later, a gentleman sits down, plays it, and wins the major, which was five and a half grand. So um, that just made my Saturday even better. Uh, but Bertie, sorry, we were talking about uh, your your teams. Yeah, no. So um, yeah, Cowboys lost, which is a uh, you know I don't know I don't know how I feel about that, but like I was talking earlier, just Carolina Panthers have a great defense, but it just seems like you got to get Zeke think, more involved, man. Zeke yeah, well, coach. I think it's more coaching and the coordinator. Like it's just the same plays over and over. And yeah, I, I do think yeah. it's time for the Cowboys to move on coaching wise. But Jerry Jones loves um, what's his name? Linehan Slapper. Scott, no, 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 yeah, oh, Garrett, yeah, yeah. Garrett, he loves the ass slapper. Seriously, like just... I, I'm not joking. Google uh, Garrett and ass slapping. Yeah, he, he he smacks everyone's ass so hard. He claps at everything. Mm. We just like we dumped our, <laughs> Happy our, clapper, our yeah. yeah, we dumped our dumped our kicker, and we and the guy replaces misses the kick, and he's like just clapping like it's just. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's just I just need a W. I need a W for anything, man. All right, we're gonna wrap it up because Birdie's got to go. So so forty. Um, I'm I'm barracking for my Seattle Seahawks. They had a tough loss against the Denver Broncos in Week One, but uh, Michael Mr. Big Dixon, um, best punter in the NFL, Australian boy. Uh, true story. I went out and bought a TV a couple of weeks ago at JB Hi-Fi. Was wearing my Seattle Seahawks jacket. The the clerk served me. Said, "Oh, you follow? I'm support the Seahawks." I said, "Yeah." Um, he said, "Oh, my friend plays for them." I said, "No way." And it turns out that he played AFL for Michael Dixon. And was um good mates of him, so that was really cool. And that was um in like game two of the preseason, and I uh, went back and watched him kick the shit out of the ball. Um, so he's he's really good at kicking the football. That's really important, guys. Uh, aside from that, uh, going to be a, a, a tough year for Seattle, I think, because they've got a transitional stuff happening. But looking forward to it. And I don't really follow anything in the EPL, so I can't I can't give you a EPL team I support. Is there any other sport going on? I can't remember. AFL finals. Yeah, AFL finals. GWS were... had a big win over the Swans, unfortunately for Birdie. Yeah, uh, the Bloods got carved up, didn't they? Mm. Hang on, is there anyone I care about in the AFL? Let me let me Google this. I mean, wait. Tigers are probably going to go back to back. Yeah, they're looking red hot. I mean, Hawthorne have a chance to cement their dynasty. Um, you know, with prolonged success, but the Tigers do look like they're all right. Um, fuck it, West Coast. Let's go West Coast. Oh um, yuck! <laughs> no, no, no. Get, get, get him, get him over there with the the <sighs> Perth Eagles, the Perth Eagles, uh, the West Coast Eagles, and the Perth Eagles, the great uh, AFL NRL tandem. So, all right. Well, I'm I'm still running on a high after that that comeback, and, and this is what I'm talking about, Dick. Bick- Fuck, did it again. Big it's Dick, big dick, <laughs> big dick Energy down twenty to nil in the third quarter. And at the top of the fourth... 23, wasn't it? No, 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 because we got three on the board. It was 23 to three at one point. That's right, yeah. So right. Um, in the fourth quarter, down by a, a couple of scores, and they interview Aaron Rodgers after the game, and they say, well, you're down you're down um, 20 to three. What are you thinking? And he goes, seven plus seven plus seven is 21, and that yeah, gets us the win. He was, he was so high on painkillers, I swear to God. Yeah, he, his eyes were red. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the problem with playing the Vikings this weekend, also at home, but they've got a pretty good roster at the moment. Yeah, they've got a pretty nasty defense. Um, Oh, and finally, the fucking Jimmy G hype died. Thank God. Thank you, Minnesota. Thank you for putting an end to the Jimmy Gotropolo talk after his, what, 5-0 or whatever it was, win streak. Yeah, I I still think he's going to be passable. Um, 
Okay. He's not going to be terrible. Just I was so sick of 49ers fans going like busting their nut about him. Well, that was like Bears yeah. fans saying that they were going to win, and then they got Khalil Mack, and and he dominated who, the first who half. Had a monster game. Wow. Like, he, 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 they went back to like 1972 when they first started keeping NFL records, yep. and he was like the first player to get the the fumble fumble recovery pick six and a sack or a strip sack or something. He did everything in that first half. I think he was ridiculous. He. he it wasn't the first time, but he was the first person to do it since the last time it was done in 2016, and the last person to do it was Khalil Mack. <laughs> <laughs> He's in great company then. <laughs> and uh, the Cleveland Browns uh, wiping out their well, loss how streak. About, how about that? They, they yeah, haven't um, won a game in the first round for how many years was it? Since 2004. So 14 years. So the, the streak continues, but they they've stopped the losing streak in the it's first round. Their best round. start since two thousand four, <laughs> um, and they they had a blocked field goal in overtime as well to win it. So I'll tell you who I really like off their team though, Miles Garrett. That that kid oh, is wow. He is a freak. Yep. Yeah, wow is the right way of putting it. He could be the the best pass rusher in the league in like a year or two. And then, Absolutely. of course, um, talking about rookies, Sam Darnold, his first play in the NFL was a pick six. <laughs> How he threw cross, he, he ran outside the pocket, navigated through a few guys, threw across the field, which is the biggest no-no you can do as a QB, gets hit for a pick six, and then goes on to thrash the Detroit Lions. Like, oh my God, what a, what a debut. Well, it was more the defense. I think it was four interceptions. The, but four it, interceptions, He, he did yeah. throw two touchdown passes. So, Yeah, um, two TDs to one inch, so not too bad. It's only, it's only week one, and as we touched on this year, it's not about how you start, it's how you finish, and unfortunately for the Eels, they finish That's pathetically true. That is very true. <laughs> with yeah. a whimper. Um, all right, well, this will wrap us up for the moment. Um, Birdie, you're still there or you're gone? He's got. A, he stopped recording, he has a go. Um, so anyway, this will wrap up with me and um, 40, and um, maybe I, th- I think I've we, we've tracked it down to what really went wrong. Is that the Newcastle trial, 40 offered some... You know, Italian meats and, and whatever else. That's right, salami and um, stencil paninis. And I was entertaining with um, my cousin, um, my my good Newcastle friend, and some of his rellos. And I didn't get a chance to come down and, and um, have a chat with 40 and Ham and crew. <laughs> and that's, that's how the curse started. That's where we, we oh, won yeah. that game, but we lost the war. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like, the, um, like the famous scene from the Titanic, we went down with the ship. So um, we'll, be back, okay as we'll be back here this year, but I'm just over right. over rugby league at the moment. Um, I only watched and one I, game over the the weekend, which oh, was the the product this year has been terrible as well beyond Parramatta. So I don't blame you. I watched the um, South Melbourne game, and then that's what I watched. I watched, I watched a bit of the Dragons. Yeah, I watched the, the second Broncos. half. Yep. So that that was that was a little bit of um, a little bit cathartic there watching the Broncos, who clearly thought they'd had the week off, mm-hmm. and were just trying to get through to play the. Um, South Sydney Rabbitohs, they got absolutely ambushed by uh, St. George. Yep, so I'm just not invested in it at the moment. And, you know, that's probably a bit of, a bit salty on, on how we turned out this year, but also, you have to say, across the league. And, you know, as I said before, closeness does not equal a good product. No, exactly. Yeah, you, you need the story wines that come with, you know, the highs and lows on the ladder, and we didn't have that this year. Mm. And it was all a bit boring and you know teams up and down week on week and teams probably stringing together two or three good games and then playing like garbage but overall I think you know a lot of teams from past and you talk about 2016 being a soft comp but um, more as a mem than anything else but um, this season has probably been pretty soft definitely 
Definitely. And that makes it even more frustrating that we were the worst of yeah, the Yeah, that we, we'd cashed out after six weeks, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well, that, that'll wrap us up for now. I'm not quite sure when we'll be back next, um, but um, enjoy your off-season. If there's any notable pre-season happenings, we'll, we'll probably jump on for a special pod. Eh? If we um, end up signing Marty Tapau and going crazy and whatnot. Yeah, we'll see how the um, the, the review pans out. And, yeah, um, that's true. Whether or not that's they release a notable the f- thing whether they release the findings to the public. Um, Mm -hmm. But, of course, any major signing news or or possibly one after the um, Ron Massey Cup, um, Bo Henry-led grand final victory. Bo Henry, that's it. (laughs) All right, well, until then, um, enjoy your off-season. Hopefully you're into some American sports or at least the cricket um, so you can enjoy some of that. And um, we'll catch you. On behalf of all the boys, Bertie, PM, Ham, um, everyone that's been on the pod this year, it's... uh, been kind of fun with the pod. I wouldn't say that the games have been great, but it's been a pleasure, boys. Well, hopefully we get um, a bit better showing next year and we can sort of deep dive into the, to, to some wins. Yeah. Thanks, Amish. Cheers, boys. Catch you then. Catch you. Yeah.